As usual, let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namatasa. Namatasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namatasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namatasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa This morning we have started to practice Vipassana meditation and I have given you the very practical instructions of how to practice it in the sitting, in the walking and in the daily activities. So tonight I want to talk about sati, mindfulness, so that you get a better idea of what mindfulness is and to understand its role in the context of Vipassana meditation practice. So I will explain what sati means in the context of the Buddha's teaching with, with its goal of complete liber- liberation. As I said this morning, Vipassana meditation translates as insight meditation or sometimes it's referred <coughs> to as mindfulness meditation. <coughs> Because, as I said, mindfulness is one quality, one mental factor which is very important for this practice. It's uh, a basic factor that needs to be established and developed. But mindfulness, sati, is by no means the only quality or mental factor that is developed. Besides mindfulness, there are other qualities, other <coughs> mental factors which are needed in the whole process of seeing the true nature of all phenomena. So other qualities <coughs> or mental factors are, for example, samadhi, which means one-pointedness of the mind or concentration or sata, confidence, faith or there needs to be virya, effort then also the factor of panya which means insight, understanding, wisdom So all these other uh, mental factors need also to be cultivated or brought about. Munindra was teaching uh, Vipassana meditation. He was (coughs) Indian and he had been to Burma and he had practiced under the late Venerable Mahasi Sayadaw, which we have uh, the picture there. Then later on in his life he went back to India and was teaching there. So Munindra had said, when mindfulness is there, all the beautiful qualities are nearby. Saito Uindaka, one of my teachers in Burma, he uses the following analogy for sati, mindfulness. He says, sati is like the surgeon to do a surgery. Even 
if all the assistant doctors are present, the nurses or the anesthetist without the surgeon, the surgery cannot be conducted. And likewise, in the whole process of deeply understand mental and physical phenomena, sati is very important. So in his discourses, in his teachings, the Buddha mentioned different groups of mental qualities or mental factors. And putting them into a group that uh, can make it easier to remember them. And we should remember that at the time of the Buddha, his discourses, his teachings were not written down. Everything was memorized. <coughs> and so there are these different groups. And for beginners, this might be a bit confusing because we have the four of this and the seven of that. Then we have the nine of this and the three so and so. <laughs> Sati, mindfulness, belongs to several of these groups. So, for example, Sati, mindfulness, is one of the seven factors of awakening, one of the seven so-called bojangas. Or else, Sati is one of the five mental faculties, the five indriyas. Sati also belongs to the group of the five mental powers, the five bala. And Sati also belongs to the Noble Eightfold Path as Sama Sati, Right Mindfulness. This also shows <coughs> the fact that Sati appears in several groups, it shows how important this mental factor, this mental quality is, how important its role in the whole process of clearly seeing is. At the time of the Buddha, there was a monk who was very distressed because he could not remember the many rules he had to follow. Like for the monks, then in the course, um, rules uh, had been set up that they had to follow. So, and because nothing was written down, so the monks had to learn by heart these rules. And this monk just could not memorize them. He had such a hard time. And so he got very disappointed, very distressed, to the point where he thought of disrobing. So then the Buddha heard about this monk, and out of compassion, the Buddha went to this monk, and he asked him, well, you know, can you remember one thing? And the monk said, well, yes one thing I can remember. And then the Buddha said, well then, just remember this one thing. Be mindful. Nowadays, mindfulness has become mainstream. Almost everybody talks about mindfulness to be mindful. So there is a vast number of mindfulness courses, mindfulness seminars. Many articles on mindfulness have been written, many studies uh, in relation to mindfulness have been conducted. 
And just to give you an idea uh, how much mindfulness is out there, um, when I googled the word mindfulness, there were more than 73 million <laughs> entries. <laughs> and when I googled two years ago, there were only 40 million. So almost doubled in the last two years. So in regard to mindfulness, you may know the MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Then there is also the MBCT, Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy, or MBRP, Mindfulness-Based Relapse Prevention. But then there are also courses like how to practice mindful cleaning. <laughs> Mindfulness courses for cleaners. <laughs> then we have all these different online courses on mindfulness. And like for an online mindfulness training, I found 33 million entries. <laughs> there are courses in urban mindfulness, and of course, mindfulness to manage stress. But now, what is mindfulness in the context of the Buddha's teaching? So when we want to approach sati or mindfulness, know what it is, and know what it is not, first of all, we should distinguish sati from samadhi. Samadhi means one-pointedness of mind or concentration. And the very strong forms of concentration, they are called the jhanas or the absorptions. And when one is completely absorbed in one's object of meditation, this can also happen with the metta, we can reach the jhanas or the metta meditation practice. So when one is completely absorbed in one's object of meditation, then that cuts out everything else. So in this absorbed state of mind, Thoughts cannot enter the mind, so there will be no thoughts arising. One no longer hears sound, for example, when one is completely absorbed. And so the result of this deeply concentrated state of mind is happiness, bliss, calmness, peacefulness. This deeply calm, still, concentrated state of mind can be compared to the flame of a candle. So if a candle is in a room where all the doors and windows are closed, then the flame of the candle will be very still, without flickering, without moving. So this is the image that is used for a deeply concentrated, still mind. And indeed, that's a very nice state of mind. It's very pleasant. But just because of that, it's very seductive to get attached to it, to want more of this beautifully concentrated state of mind. If one is skilled, adept in um, entering this deep state of concentration quite easily, so one could escape a restless mind or one could escape from worries or problems. But we must know that this 
calmness, um, stillness, peacefulness of the mind in absorption is only a temporary uh, peacefulness or calmness. It's only a temporary suppression of the thoughts or the worries or the problems. So samadhi itself does not lead to wisdom or it does not lead to insight into the true nature of things. So even the highest states of samadhi, all the absorptions, the jhanas, they are still <coughs> mundane, mundane uh, states of mind. As I said, they can temporarily suppress any defilements, but samadhi alone cannot uproot the defilements. The uprooting of the defilements uh, happens through panya, insight, wisdom, understanding. So here is an example of a great um, meditation master who in his practice got stuck in samadhi because it was such a pleasant and nice state. It's Ajahn Mahabua, a Thai meditation master who passed away seven years ago. So he himself said, <coughs> I was so skilled in my samadhi that the mind was as unshakable as a slab of rock. Soon I became addicted to the total peace and tranquility of that samadhi state. So much so that my meditation practice remained stuck at that level of samadhi for five full years. Eventually, he got out. <laughs> of that um, being stuck. The Buddha's instructions of how to practice Vipassana meditation, they are found in a discourse called the Satipatthana Sutta, or the foundations of mindfulness. Sometimes it's translated as the fields of awareness or abidings of mindfulness. And I will come back to these four foundations of mindfulness later in this talk. So in this discourse, there is one sentence which I always got confused or I did not really understand what to make out of it. <coughs> it was the sentence like that one, a meditator, should set up mindfulness before oneself. Or another translation that you know, a monk, a meditator, having sat down and having established mindfulness in front of him. So what does this mean? Established mindfulness in front of him, of her. How can I set up mindfulness in front of me? Where? In front of my nose? <laughs> in front of my face? <coughs> Or is it in front of my chest? Is it 10 centimeters away? Or is it one meter in front of me? It was only when I had come to Burma and when I had learned Burmese that I came to understand how this can be understood. In like when I listened to Burmese Dhamma talks, I heard the Sayadaws very often say, the D-U-C-D-S-E-N-E, which 
means something like with a mind led by mindfulness. As I said at the beginning of this talk, sati is one of the many mental factors that we need to develop. So then, this expression, with a mind led by mindfulness, means that sati is a leading factor, and the other mental factors, they follow, or they are they are present with mindfulness. Because, as I said, sati <coughs> is by no means the only mental factor we need to develop and strengthen. At the time of the Buddha, this word sati meant to remember, <coughs> as in to remember something from the past. <coughs> but then Buddha gave this word a new meaning, sati, as to remember to be present or to be aware of the presently arising phenomena in body and mind. And in Burmese, you know, many of the Pali words are used in the Burmese language, but when it is translated into a Burmese word, then um, sati is expressed as not forgetfulness. So when we are not forgetful, then we remember. Then we remember to be present. Different teachers have different interpretations of sati or mindfulness. And much has been said about sati much has been written about mindfulness. So here are some explanations or definitions of sati as it applies to our Vipassana meditation practice. And so with each of these explanations or um, definitions, I want to highlight one aspect of sati. We begin again, or we begin with Munindra, this Indian teacher. He had said, because of its chief characteristic is not floating away, sati stays with an object. And for Monindra, mindfulness was not kind of a mystical state, but for him it was a mundane act that anyone could and should do in any moment. And he often emphasized this to his students. He would say, for example, everything is meditation in this practice. Even while eating, drinking, dressing, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking. Whatever you are doing, everything should be done mindfully, dynamically, with totality, completeness, thoroughness. Then it becomes meditation, then it becomes meaningful, purposeful. Mindfulness is not thinking, but experiencing from moment to moment, living from moment to moment, without clinging, without condemning, without judging, without evaluation, without comparing, 
without selecting or without criticizing. So that's Monindra. Now an explanation by Bhikkhu Bodhi. Bhikkhu Bodhi is an American monk, a great scholar. He has uh, translated um, many of the Buddha's discourses into English, from the Pali into English. Like the Diga Nikaya, Majima Nikaya, um, Angutra Nikaya and Samyutta Nikaya, these four Nikayas have already been uh, completely translated into English. And I think he's now working on the Kudaka Nikaya. So, Bhikkhu Bodhi has said, the word Sati derives from a root meaning to remember. But as a mental factor, it signifies presence of mind, attentiveness to the present, rather than the faculty of memory regarding the past. <coughs> then, an explanation by Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu. He was a Thai monk, well-known, very famous. He died in 1993. So he had said, Sati is the vehicle or transport mechanism for Panya, wisdom. Without Sati, wisdom cannot be developed. And then we have another Thai meditation master. It's Ajahn Lee Damadaro. He passed away in 1961. And he had said, Everyone has some degree of mindfulness. The ordinary business of life, driving a car, baking bread, and so on, requires that we are mindful or attentive to the present moment to some extent. But this usually alternates each minute with long lapses of forgetfulness. A person who has no mindfulness at all is mad, completely scattered and out of contact. Then the next definition or explanation comes from Goenka, who passed away five years ago. He had studied with a Burmese master, teacher, who was actually a layman, Ubakin, and then brought this approach to um, Vipassana meditation. Uh, to the West, first to India, and from India it spread all over the globe. And as you know, in Blackheath mm. there is a Goenka meditation center. So he had said, Sati means awareness. The witnessing of every reality pertaining to mind and matter. <clears throat> then we have Bante Henepola Gunaratna or Bante Chi as he is referred to a Sri Lankan monk now residing in the United States 
he's quite old. And so he had said, Satya reflects only what is presently happening and in exactly the way it is happening. There are no biases. Mindfulness is non-judgmental observation. And now we have an explanation by Mahasi Sayadaw. He had said, through mindfulness, the yogi knows how to distinguish each bodily and mental process, as the rising movement is one process, the knowing of it is another, the falling process, not the falling movement, is one process, the knowing of it is another. The yogi realizes that each act of knowing has the nature of going toward an object. <clears throat> now we have Sylvia Borstein, an, Amer an American meditation teacher, and she has said, mindfulness, a relaxed, non-clinging, non-aversive awareness of present experience. You could think of it as a natural capacity that, like any other skill, requires developing. And Explanation by Joseph Goldstein, another American meditation teacher. He said, Mindfulness is that quality of attention which notices without choosing, without preference. It is a choiceless awareness that, like the sun, shines on all things equally. <coughs> And lastly, Jack Cornfield, another American meditation teacher, who said, In the development of wisdom, one quality of mind above all others <coughs> is the key to practice. This quality is mindfulness, attention. So these are various explanations and definitions of mindfulness, sati, or its role, its function in the process of developing understanding and wisdom. <coughs> so here is a summary of mindfulness. It's a key quality of mind in the development of wisdom. It's the vehicle for panya, wisdom, without sati, mindfulness, wisdom cannot be developed. Mindfulness, it's not choosing the object, it's without preference. You can call it choiceless awareness and it's a non-judgmental observation. Mindfulness is a natural capacity that needs developing. Everybody has some degree of mindfulness. Or mindfulness as the witnessing of every reality pertaining to mind and matter. Mindfulness as presence of mind or as the attentiveness to the present. <clears throat> In a text of the Abhidhamma, the higher teaching, a text called the Abhidhammata Sangaha, Sati and other mental factors are described in regard to its 
characteristic, function, manifestation, and proximate cause. Bhikkhu Bodhi has also translated this from the Pali into English. And so, this is from Bhikkhu Bodhi. In regard to Sati, it has the characteristic of not wobbling, that is, not floating away from the object. And the classical illustration is that of throwing a stone into a pond, into the water. So if you throw a stone into the water, then it uh, sinks to the ground and just sits there. It's not wobbling. The stone is not moving. So that's mindfulness. (coughs) Non-mindfulness is like a dried pumpkin that is thrown into the pond. This dried pumpkin, it won't sink to the ground, but it will float on the surface of the water. And when there's a bit of wind, then the dried pumpkin is floating over here and floating over there. If there are some waves, little ripples of the water, then the pumpkin is wobbling. So that's the illustration of non-mindfulness. And so this characteristic of not wobbling, Saito Upandita, who was a student of uh, Mahasi Sayado and who has passed away a few years ago, Saito Upandita would say, you know, sati, mindfulness, must plunge into the object. (coughs) 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 Then the function of sati. It's defined as its function is absence of confusion or non-forgetfulness. So this function of not being forgetful makes us present, makes us attentive. And then when we are present with what is happening, then we know what is happening. So then we are not confused. So that's the absence of confusion to what is right here and now. So you know this function of not being forgetful. Um, You know, a soccer player or a tennis player cannot be forgetful Um, and, you know, look around, who is here, who is uh, watching my game, you know, Um, then surely the player would miss the ball. So a soccer player, tennis player, must always be present and, you know, know and see where the ball is so that she or he is ready to kick the ball, to take it, to make a dribble, and uh, to play it. And this also then means that, you know, mindfulness as not being forgetful, it keeps the object in mind in the same way as a soccer player keeps the ball in sight. She or he always sees where the ball is, never loses it out of sight. And so, always having the object in sight or not losing it, then it means also that we are face to face with the object. And to be face to face is needed so that we can clearly see what is, what is there, how the object um, how its nature is. Then in regard to the manifestation, it is said, it is manifested as guardianship. 
So when there is sati, when there is mindfulness, so then um, it can guard against the kilesas or the defilements. So mindfulness is like a protection from the attacks of the kilesas, the defilements. And if the defilements do arise, because, you know, they have their habitual force of arising in our heart and mind, and so if a kilesa, a defilement, arises in the mind, then when there is mindfulness, mindfulness quite quickly recognizes that the defilement, that could be greed or anger, uh, jealousy, and so on. So then mindfulness quickly recognizes that uh, defilement has arisen in the heart, in the mind. And then it can deal with it uh, appropriately, with mindfulness. And so in this way, mindfulness can prevent the defilement from spreading, you know, from spreading like a bushfire. So when a little spark, a little fire is um, seen and recognized, it's easier to put it down than a big bushfire, which needs much more uh, to extinguish. And then lastly, the proximate cause for sati, mindfulness. Its proximate cause is strong perception or the four foundations of mindfulness. When it says the four foundations of mindfulness are the proximate cause for mindfulness to arise, the four foundations of mindfulness, they encompass basically every possible phenomenon every possible experience. So, every object, every phenomenon, you know, when it's present, it can be the proximate cause for mindfulness to arise, for us to be aware of it, to be mindful of it. So, as you can see from the different quotes from the different definitions and explanations of different teachers, it's not so easy to, to say what mindfulness is or to um, describe it with all its different nuances. It's not so easy to talk about it but it's much easier to know what it is when we practice it, when we experience it uh, for ourselves, through direct experience in our practice. You know, it's like uh, describing an orange to somebody who has never seen an orange, who has never eaten an orange. But once this person sees an orange and eats it, then the person will um, directly uh, know what an orange looks like and what it tastes like. So there is no more doubt. There was this funny uh, encounter between two great Buddhist masters. Western disciples thought it would be great to have uh, Kalu Rinpoche, a Tibetan uh, master, monk, and a Zen master to meet each other. So they organized a meeting of the two, and you might know that, you know, the approach to, to practice, to understand the Buddha's teaching, um, is different in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition 
and the Japanese Zen Buddhist tradition. In the Zen tradition, um, they use so-called koans for the practice. And so, when these two masters met, there was um, a bowl of fruit on the table, and so the Zen master takes an orange, holds it in front of Carlo Rinpoche's face, and in his kind of Zen-like forceful art uh, way, he asked Carlo Rinpoche, what is this? And Carlo Rinpoche kind of looks at this orange, and he had a translator who translated into Tibetan. He didn't understand English. So the translator translates this question, what is this? And Kalo Rinpoche was kind of confused. It did not make sense, this question. And so, going back and forth with the translator. And finally, Kalo Rinpoche says, through the translator, don't they have oranges in their country? <laughs> when I gave the instructions for the Vipassana meditation practice this morning, I said that we need to be mindful of everything. We need to be mindful of every experience that happens in the body and in the mind. So no experience, no object that we can perceive is outside the range of our Vipassana meditation practice. And so the totality of our experiences this can be divided into four groups. So the Buddha made these four groups and he called them Satipatthana, foundations of mindfulness or fields of mindfulness, establishments of mindfulness. And these four foundations of mindfulness they are explained in the Satipatthana Sutta, in this discourse on the foundations of mindfulness. So these are these four um, foundations. The first one is called in Pali, Kaya Nupassana Satipatthana, which means mindfulness of bodily phenomena or mindfulness of physical phenomena, mindfulness of the body. The second foundation is called Vedananupassana Satipatthana. And this is the mindfulness of feeling, feeling tone, or contemplation of feeling tone. The third foundation is Chittanupassana Satipatthana, which means the contemplation of states of mind. And the fourth one is Dhammanupassana Satipatthana, which is the contemplation of mind objects. The Buddha devised the system of four groups, four foundations, in order to train the mind. To train the mind in such a way that we can see very clearly the true nature of the body, of the feeling tones, of the Vedana, of the mind, and of mental objects. So, in other words, that we can see with a microscopic precision the true nature of all phenomena happening in our body and mind. 
In order to see the true nature of all phenomena, mindfulness needs to become continuous, sustained, and unbroken for longer and longer periods of time. You know, it's like boiling water. If you have a kettle and want to boil water, so if you turn the kettle on, but then you switch it off after a few moments, then you switch it on again, but turn it off again, and then switch it off, on again, off, and so on. So in this way, the water will never come to a boil, or it will take very, 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 very long time. And so likewise, for mindfulness to become really strong, <coughs> sharp, and penetrating, it needs to be continuous and mindful. So with the strengthening and deepening of mindfulness together with samadhi, with concentration, then the mind actually becomes like a magnifying glass or later on like a microscope an electronic microscope, so then things can be seen more and more clearly, which means things can be seen more and more accurately, as they truly are. So then we no, no longer stay at the level, uh, at, the, at the surface, we no longer stay on the conventional level, thinking things are like this, but then we really see what or how things exist. You know, just to give you one example um, in regard to movement. You know, now in Vipassana meditation practice, we observe, for example, the rising and falling movement or the movement of the feet in the walking meditation, the movement of the arm or the hand in the day-to-day -day awareness. So, you know, usually people think of movement that is something that, you know, happens from here, from point A to point B. It's kind of a smooth, ongoing movement that has a start here, point A, and then the movement ends at point B. This is the common notion of movement. But then, with the sharpening of our mental faculties, of sati, samadhi, and so on, we see more and more clearly, like with micro microscopic precision, that this so-called ongoing smooth movement from A to B is actually no longer just a smooth ongoing movement. First of all, meditators notice that this movement is kind of rugged or a bit jerky. And later on, it can be perceived more clearly as, you know, a little movement and a little movement, and a little movement. So it's like this succession of tiny little movements, one after the other, that make up this movement from A to B. And the stronger mindfulness is, the deeper concentration is, one sees smaller and smaller units of separate little movements happening one after the other, in rapid succession. And because of the fastness of this arising and passing away of moments of movement, you know, when we are not mindful and when we are not paying close attention, the, the fastness, the speed, makes it seem as one ongoing smooth movement. So, by now, it should have become clear that mindfulness is not only developed for just 
being mindful, but mindfulness is developed for gaining insight, understanding, for wisdom, so to see things as they really are. And that's the, the true goal of the Buddha's teaching, to become liberated from all that which causes suffering, or to completely eradicate greed, hatred and delusion. So mindfulness is not a goal in itself. Otherwise, we become what is called a Californian yogi. <laughs> you know, simply using mindfulness for worldly application. So to have a bit less stress, to be more relaxed, to be easygoing. <laughs> Mindfully, you know, cutting the veggies, mindfully changing the nappies of the kids, mindfully cleaning the toilet, and so on. So there are many, more, many other methods and therapies which could help to be less stressed, to be more relaxed in one's life. So now I want to highlight, highlight one more thing in regard to mindfulness. Like the four foundations of mindfulness, which I uh, just mentioned. The first one is called <coughs> Kaya Nupasana Satipatthana. <coughs> so Satipatthana means foundation of mindfulness. Sati, mindfulness, patana, usually translated as foundation. Then the word kaya nupasana. This is a compound and usually translated as the contemplation of the body or bodily uh, phenomena. Kaya, kaya nupasana consists of Kaya and Anupasana. Kaya means the body. Then Anupasana again consists of Anu and Pasana. Pasana meaning seeing clearly. The same word as in Vipassana. But here we have Anupasana. And the syllable anu um, means repetition or repetitive. And so anupasana then means the repeated seeing or observation of the body, like kayanupasana. Um, And so, if we apply this understanding that it is a repeated seeing, a repeated observation, so if we apply that to all four foundations of mindfulness, we can see sati in the following way, as Bhikkhu Bodhi describes it. So sati is part of a process that involves a close, repetitive observation of the object. I think this is very important to note, that it is a repetitive observation, meaning again and again and again and again, looking ever more closely. It's not enough just to look at movement once and then think, okay, now I've seen it repeatedly, again and again. So, enough words around mindfulness. You know, the Buddha, he was a pragmatic. He was never really interested to set up a philosophical uh, system <coughs> or to set up a nice theory. 
He just wanted people to become free from dukkha, from all forms of suffering. And he wanted to attain people or beings the unshakable, unshakable peace that he had attained. And I want to close this talk with a quote from Mahasi Sayadaw. It highlights the power and role of mindfulness in the whole process of purification. Mahasi Sayadaw said, Every moment of mindfulness is a gradual destruction of latent defilements. It is somewhat like cutting away wood with a small axe, every stroke helping to get rid of small pieces of the unwanted wood. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.